Hi, my name is Shannon. I'm a Covenant member, and I serve with the college ministry here at the well. Um, <laughs> today, I'll be reading from Judges chapter 8, verses 22 through 35. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of the Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. Every one of you, give me the earrings from his spoil, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we will, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw in it the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he had requested was 1,700 shekels of gold because the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian and besides the collars that were around the, knee, the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah. And all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father at Ophrah of the Abizrites. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and the, made Baalbareth their god. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of the Jerubbabel, that is, Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. All right, elect of God, how are we? Yeah, today one of them texts. All right. Uh, hey, clearly we have a lot of work to do if you did not catch some of the language that was used. And so uh, this is our last week studying the book of Judges, looking at Gideon as we think about pushing back darkness, one of our distinctives here as a church. We talked about pushing back darkness internally. Uh, we talked about it in our family and in our church and into the world. And even hopefully we got to pray about it some and take steps to how God is calling us to push back darkness even last week. In fact, if you want those physical cards, we have some in the back as well. And we want you to begin to think about, man, how is God calling you to move uh, on behalf of the kingdom, to, to really advance the kingdom of God in your own life and in the world around us. And we really believe that each of us has a calling from God because we trust the Bible. And the Bible says that we are God's workmanship. That's every single person who has come to faith in Christ, that God wants to impact eternity and change uh, the, the nation around us, the nations around us, that he wants to do things for his glory. He wants to use you, Christian, right, to change eternity. Uh, and we want the kingdom to advance in our own hearts and in our families, and in our church, and in the world. And after thinking about all of this, and after announcing a new church planter, and praise God for that, uh, trying to advance the ball down the court, trying to push the, the kingdom of God forward as a church, we end with this text today. It's like, yeah, let's take over the world for God. Womp womp. 
Scripture is keeping it real, all right? And once you know it's really hard to finish well, and that's what we're talking about today, how do you end well in this Christian walk? And as a young church, one thing that I would hate for us is for us to freaking destroy some Midianite armies in our 20s and 30s only to end up not even really caring about Jesus in our 50s and 60s. And that's the temptation for each of us. So how do we finish well? Not just how do we start well, how do we push back darkness, but how do we find the endurance to continue to do this until the Lord calls us home? The Bible mentions over 400 different leaders throughout its pages. And of those 400 men and women who are used to serve God, only 80 of them end their life still in love with God. That's 20%, y'all. We look around and think, man, are 20% of us going to be really passionate about Christ when we're 60? The stats are actually true, not just in the Bible, but even in the world around us. If you look at churches as they age, so does the passion for Christ wane. And we see less and less people that are serious about Christ. And so my desire is not that we would take over the city with the gospel in this decade, but that six decades from now, our grandkids will be loving and worshiping Jesus because of what we're doing right now. How do we end well? Our homeboy, Giddy, did not end well. He was bugging, all right? And so let's come through the text, and we're actually going to back it up just a tiny bit from what my friend read this morning, just to both recap us and to give us a tiny bit more context into that. To recap us, Gideon had just taken this great victory and he was pursuing these, uh, these uh, princes and, and trying to overtake them. And Sukkoth and Penuel, last week, remember, they, they didn't give Gideon any bread. He was exhausted yet pursuing, we said. And as he's trying to overcome them, trying to uh, take uh, the, the really freedom from all oppression, I want to start in verse 13 before we get to our main text today because it says this. It says, then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle by the ascent of Harry's. And he captured a young man of Sukkoth and questioned him and wrote down for him the officials and the elders of Sukkoth, 77 men. And he came to the men of Sukkoth and said, behold, Ziba and Zalmanah, about whom you taunted me, saying, are the hands of Ziba and Zalmanah already in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who are exhausted? And he took the elders of the cities, and he took the thorns of the wilderness and the briars, and with them he taught the men of Sukkoth a lesson. And he broke down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. Notice several things about this text today. Gideon, he goes back a slightly different way than what he came. It says the ascent of Harry's there in verse 13. And then he captures some guy in verse 14, and he holds him hostage to get him to say names of the people of this city. The guy is a snitch, and you know what they say about snitches. He ends up dying. They find 77 men, and he's like, oh, y'all remember me? Right? Like, like when you said that I wasn't going to capture the king, and, and you ain't give me no bread last week, look at me now. Oh, look at me now. Notice, right, Gideon did not kill the princes. Now think about the reality of this, y'all. You are at war, right? And you take the chief of the leaders of that war, and rather than finishing the job, you bring them back into your country. He was taunted, and so now rather than completing the mission, he brought them back as a taunt, really stunting on his haters is what he was doing. Then he beat them dudes. 
And then he broke down their tower, meaning he's killing his own people now. Is what the text actually says there. My man was acting flagrant, y'all. Right? Gideon was on his, you don't want no problems, woo, tour. My old heads get that one. Listen, this was very clearly not the heart of Christ. And it was also not the scared faith Gideon that we met in chapter 6 and in chapter 7. This is the over-asserting power Gideon here. Gideon was disrespected, so now he begins to disrespect others. And so what prevents us from enduring until the end? What actually does not give us endurance in the faith? Well, our first point is that when personal reputation or your name becomes more important than God's reputation or his name, then you will not finish well, family. I mean, this is very different from King David, right, who went out into war, was mocked by his enemies, and then as he came back, everybody was like, yo, kill this dude that was mocking you, and David's like, it's a time for grace. Or it's very different than our King Jesus, who was disrespected by you when he went to war, and rather than coming back and destroying you, he offered you grace. In fact, in verse 16, Gideon says he's going to take the thorns and teach these men a lesson. Jesus, rather, was beaten by thorns rather than beating you with thorns that he might not just teach you a lesson, but that he might extend grace and bring you into the kingdom. Gideon is not acting like our Savior. He's acting very different here. And whenever we find ourselves wanting to exalt our name over God's name, particularly when we're trying to just prove it to others, you will probably shipwreck in the end. There's only name for one, or only room for one name in your heart, and that name is King Jesus. And because there's only room for one name, then you will either put your name there or you'll put God's name there. Do you find yourself doing this? Because on the surface, we can go, oh, no, I don't really do that. I don't really care about that. But I bet that you do it in even subtle ways, and you begin to insert yourself over God. I think about even recently, as I was thinking about ways that I do this, there was something that I created recently. And when we were at a team meeting, somebody was like, wow, Stephanie, that was really awesome that you created this. And I was like, my name is not Stephanie. Stephanie. <laughs> I created that, right? And it's like, okay, like, I get it, I did it, that makes sense. But, like, who am I doing this for, right? Is this for God and for the church, or is this so that you can know that I know how to create awesome things? And yet I find myself wanting to insert my name and get some sort of recognition. Whose name is most important, church of God, yours or his? We say that, and yet we don't act it all the time. You see, this can ruin in the end if we do not submit to Jesus. Now, some of you might say, hey, I don't really struggle with that. That's cool. We got like 30 points today. Verse 18. Then he said to Ziba and Zalmanah, hey, where are the men that you killed at Tabor? And they said, hey, as you are, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said, they were my brothers, the sons of my mother. And as the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he said to Jether, his firstborn son, rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a young man. Then Ziba and Zalmanah said, rise yourself and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and killed Ziba and Zalmanah, and he took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of the camels. Whoa. Okay, 
Now, if you've been journeying with us throughout this whole series, this is actually a shocking section because the author just kind of drops this stunning fact on us out of the blue, out of nowhere. We have never heard this information before. At the climax of the story, the capture of the kings, the narrator throws this plot twist on us that Gideon was ruthlessly pursuing these people for personal revenge. They killed his brothers. We never had that story. We, we didn't even know Gideon had brothers. And in chapters 6 and 7, it's being painted like Gideon was desiring to be obedient to God. But in chapter 8, that obedience to God began to deteriorate. And it seems like Gideon is really just on his own revenge tour. How do we lose endurance? Point two, when personal mission becomes more important than God's mission, we lose our way. Personal vengeance was more consuming than communal deliverance for Gideon. You see, vengeance was Gideon's mission. And sometimes, y'all, especially when we've been wronged by somebody that is over us or above us or has more power than us, then vengeance becomes more important to us than deliverance does for others. Watch out for that, family. Because it's subtle and it's sneaky and yet it can consume us. It's not just vengeance, though. Any mission and any vision that is more important than the mission and vision of God, that will shipwreck us, even good missions and visions. I mean, we see this in the church, don't we? When someone's personal glory game becomes more important than the great commission of Christ. And so listen, like, to follow someone who has a vision from God, that is a great thing. You actually see that all throughout the scriptures. We, we actually need each other to complete the mission of God that God has given each of us as individuals. All of us have a part to play in each other's life. So to follow somebody with a mission and a vision, that is an okay thing. But often you see church leaders, or really any leader for that fact, begin with this great humility and this great uh, hunger and a heart and a motivation, and then it disintegrates and so the personal need for validation, your mission in your life is not more important than God's mission in God's life. Michael Wilcox, a biblical commentator, he says this in this section. He says, Gideon himself has become, even on the testimony of his enemies, a man of majesty and strength. But there is something less than admirable at the heart of him for all of the development of his great abilities. Beware of the gifts of the Spirit without the fruit of the Spirit. Eesh. Friends, when you stop seeing the fruit of the Spirit produced in somebody's life, then the fruit that they are producing is no longer spiritual. It's fleshy, it's personal. Personal mission over God's mission will ruin your faith in the end because you will stop having faith in God and in God's mission and start having faith in yourself and in your mission. And lo and behold, we are not very good saviors, y'all. Whose mission are you following? Whose mission matters to you more, family? Is it the mission of God? Or is it your mission to be successful or to have comfort, or to get some sort of approval, to be known, or to achieve something, it's so easy for us to fall into this trap. Notice, too, in this section, Gideon's trying to get his son to kill him. Do you see that there? 
This was a shameful thing in that culture to be a warrior killed by a child. So Gideon is trying to bring shame uh, like Satan. Whoever brings shame is not acting like Christ. They're acting like Satan. Side point. But notice, okay, like, like you don't see a lot of chapter like uh, 8 Gideon's in his son. You actually see a lot of chapter 6 Gideon in Gideon's son, Jether. He's young. He's scared. He doesn't want to do what somebody else is telling him to do. In fact, even in Sukkoth and Penuel, the, the cities that kind of halted and didn't give to Gideon, though what they did was wrong, what they were saying to Gideon is, we need a sign that you are going to actually have victory. They sounded a lot more like Gideon than they did like chapter 8 Gideon, right? The people around Gideon were acting a lot like Gideon. But he doesn't empower his son. He's not like mighty man of valor. Right? No, instead, he allows shame to cover over his son as he's trying to use his son to then shame others. This is the opposite of what God did to Gideon. God was patient with Gideon, and Gideon is impatient with everyone around him. Point being, when personal measurement becomes more important than God's measurement, then you will lose your way. What do I mean by that? I mean, like, the grace that you give or the justice that you employ, or the mercy that you decide to give or withhold. You see, for Gideon, generous grace was extended, but shallow grace was then given. This extreme patience was bestowed, but then harsh judgment was employed. This uh, generous forgiveness was offered, but this fierce justice was surrendered back. When you stop acting like God, family of God, then you stop acting like God. In other words, you begin to act like you, and all of a sudden, you are not following God anymore. You're measuring up in the ways that you think are fit, and when you do that, friends, you will not endure to the end, because you're not following the Christian faith anymore. You're following your faith, and you will not endure. God's grace drove all of this out of Gideon, his lack of grace toward others allowed all that darkness to drive right back in. Now, despite his harshness, Gideon did win this great battle. And so the people are like, Abra, we need a leader. So how about you and your children? And they children, right? <laughs> um, this is a really quick tangent, but I think a really important point, okay? This one we're seeing is the blueprint for corporate and for spiritual abuse. The entire community saw what Gideon just did. He just murdered his own people. Let's not just read this as a story, y'all. If I came up here today and I was like, yeah, I killed some of them CG shepherds because they just weren't shepherding their people right. That wouldn't be Gucci, would it? You would feel a certain way. You should leave the church. And yet, not only do they not leave or hold Gideon accountable, but because Gideon displayed these awesome gifts, then the entire community not just wanted him to reign, but wanted to give him more power than what he had in this moment. Like, think about a different story, like David and Bathsheba, right? Like, David did this great sin, and a lot of people knew about it, by the way. 
And David's trying to hide in this. And he would have hidden if it had not been for what? Community. You see, somebody came out and said, yo, dog, what you are doing is wrong. Even though he was the king, y'all, he could have destroyed that man. Instead, David repented, and he never did anything like that again. You see, the community has a role to play in our sanctification. You tracking with that? Like, so in other words, when personal fruits becomes more important than God's fruits in somebody's life, then you're going to lose your way, y'all. And this can not only destroy you, it can actually destroy the communities around you. Do you see that in this text? Is that making sense? Like, listen, I don't care how awesome somebody's spiritual gift is and the fruit that appears to be coming from that person. If there is a lack of character and a lack of godliness, then that is not spiritual fruit that you are eating that is manufactured candy. And while it may taste good, it may even taste a little bit better than spiritual fruit at times. It does not nourish in the end and that will lead to people's death, y'all. What we are producing, the fruit, the character of who we are, it matters. You know, people often ask, like, how can God do all of this stuff with, with this pastor or this leader who is so wretched and, and yet God's doing all of this good? My question is, was it really good? I mean, the whole community went buck wild as soon as Gideon died. Was that really good that he was producing? And even where it is good, praise God. He takes mess and he mosaics it together because ultimately he cares about people. But often what we're seeing in these leaders is just candy disguised as fruit. Like, like you can gain the whole world and lose your soul, right? Which means even God-haters can gain the whole world. That's what that text means. So just because somebody is making big splashes in the kingdom does not mean that the water that they or their communities are swimming in are the oceans of God's kingdom and grace. It's probably just the chaos of the sea of disaster and confusion. The community has a part to play in the leaders and in the community's godliness and endurance too, y'all. Let us never forget that. I tell all of our covenant members this when we go through the class. I say, hey, listen, if at any moment as you are here, you realize that me or the elders, that we start tripping, we begin to reject the word of God, we begin to become uh, self-centered, we begin to focus on ourselves, then I want you to tell the elders right away and then immediately leave our church because what you will be being a part of is not godliness, it is uh, candy that is manufactured. Leave. Right? Because I don't want to be a part of this mess. And yet so often we get sucked up in it without realizing, and that shipwrecks our faith, y'all. In other words, be careful who you're listening to and following. Just because they look dope, they may be the furthest thing from godly. Now, Gideon knows he shouldn't be king. And so he gives on the surface what could seem like a godly answer. Right? He's like, no, I, I ain't finna rule over you. God's your king, my dude. Right? Seems good. Things aren't always what they seem, though. In other words, just because somebody gives verbal acclamations doesn't mean that their heart is actually following suit. I mean, even what I just said, I recognize I'm a spiritual leader saying, watch out for these spiritual leaders. Just because somebody says something does not mean their heart is in the right posture either, y'all. 
You see, Gideon goes on and he exercises many of the rights of an ancient Near Eastern king. You see, he actually tells them to give all of their jewelry to him in this plundering of the battle. And not just the jewelry, it's like, hey, they got all the jewelry and the coats and the ornaments and the necklaces. Gideon's taking everything. He creates a harem with concubines, has all these kids. His son's name is Abimelech, which means my father is king. He ain't even trying, y'all, right? Like, he ain't even being subtle. And then we didn't read this, but in chapter 9, verse 2, there was this assumption that the sons would then rule. So he's like, no, 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 my sons won't rule. But then all of a sudden they start fighting to rule after Gideon dies. Gideon, though, on the outside seemed to be rejecting power, on the inside seemed to crave all of it, and this led to Israel's dismantling. When personal kingdom or power becomes more important than God's kingdom or power, then we will lose our way. Satisfying personal cravings above all else, position, title, status. You want to rule your life rather than have God rule your life. That will shipwreck you, family. Notice, if you're familiar with the biblical text, Gideon actually follows suit of another bad leader, Aaron, the high priest who, as Moses goes up onto the mountain, they say, make us a god. And he's like, give me all your jewelry. And he puts it in, and then he forms this golden calf, and then Israel begins to worship it and, and whore after it is the language there too. So Gideon does the exact same thing. In other words, don't look at the sin of the generation above you and think that that sin is below you, like you will never fall prey to it too. Our hearts are like Gideon's. And if left unchecked, we can lead entire congregations into sin. Y'all tracking with this? Gideon was fiending for power here. In fact, in verse 31, it literally says that he appointed his name. That word appoint actually means to change his name. So Abimelech's name wasn't that at first. Gideon changes his name. Gideon can say that he wants God as king, when in reality, he saw himself as that. Just because you give God verbal affirmations on the outside does not mean that your heart is truly honoring God as king on the inside. We can hallelujah, amen all day and still be the kings of our own hearts. This will always lead to us not finishing well, family. God must be fully God in your heart if he is God at all. So what are we chasing? Your power, your comfort, your name being known, your pleasure, your kingdom, or God's kingdom. One causes you to lose your way. Like, I feel like I'm not being clear on this point. Are we talking with this? Listen, look, point, like, are you willing to sacrifice everything for God's kingdom? Everything. Or if you're really honest, are you verbally saying that you're about God's kingdom, but every decision that you make is actually about your kingdom? Gain the world and lose your soul. This won't end to us finishing well. Here's the kicker, too. 
I know we're journeying into darkness here, even in our own lives, right? And I actually got to preach at another church this morning the same message, and I can feel it right here where it was like, yeah, oh, shoot, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as we're journeying down, we're not even at the darkest part yet. You see, maybe worse than Gideon, assuming the title as king, is that he also began to assume the title as a priest. No one could wear the ephod except for the priest. And Gideon knew this, y'all, because Gideon actually quotes scripture in chapter 6 and in chapter 7. So it's not like Gideon doesn't know the Bible. Gideon knows the Bible, which means he knows that only one person can wear the ephod, and yet here he is, he makes himself one. Now the ephod is what the priest would wear so they could hear from God in the Old Testament, and they became then a mediator between God and between man. So Gideon is essentially saying, come to me if you want to hear from God. Making himself something that God never gave him the right or the calling to be. That was a word for somebody today. Stop trying to make yourself what God has never called you to do. It's taxing and it hurts other people around you. You see, the real ephod was not in Gideon's town. It wasn't even in his state per se. And so in making this ephod, Gideon is setting up a rival place of worship. And, and I can't uh, uh, understate this sin, y'all. And how easy it is to allow this to be in our lives. Because people are whoring after this, the text says. I mean, look at that language. They're ensnared by it, it says. As soon as they die, Gideon, or the, the people go wild. When personal glory becomes more important than God's glory, then we will lose our way. And glory can look like a hundred different things, but it's almost always the desire for more. Gideon wanted more. I mean, don't we all kind of want more of what God has given us? Gideon was wanting things that were not his. And do you know who else does that? Satan. Satan wanted things that wasn't his, and it got him kicked right out of heaven. And you know who else does that? Me. And you, we want things that aren't ours, and then we wonder why, as we begin to act more like Satan than we do act like Christ, are we feeling the darkness press in around us? We're acting like the father of lies, not the father of light. You see, Gideon was in some ways was riding this old wave of the Lord, right? Like the 300 moment. And he's like, I want that energy again. But God just called him to be a regular old Joe Smo after that. And he was like, no, no, I want the glory. In other words, you can start to crave the success of God rather than crave service to God. It's easy for us to do. It's like, I have a wife, but I want more. Or I have children, but I want them to be better. Or, or, or you, I have money, but maybe if I get a little bit more, I'll give a little bit more. So, yeah, that's my actual motivation. Really? Or is it just that you want more? Whatever it may be in our life. Gideon wasn't content with being the judge. Look at what this text tells us. Is that he wanted to be not just a judge, but a prophet and a priest and a king. Those are all three of the offices in the Old Testament, by the way. In other words, he wanted to be Jesus. The hunger 
for more family of God will always lead to starvation for more glory in the end, and it will shipwreck your faith. Hunger creates starvation when you hunger for the wrong thing. So Gideon, he's ephod making, and this leads the whole nation astray. What Gideon is really doing is he's creating his own personal religion. Now the text on the screen is tight, but it's all on there for a reason. Is that when personal religion becomes more important than God's religion, then you lose your faith. That's why that word whoring is so strong. It went from a war story about freeing from oppression all of a sudden into this relational awkward love story here. Because ultimately, God was doing all of this for relationship with his people. God's goal was relationship. But we often ditch relationship with God into some sort of organized religion that we just put things in a box together. And in reality, we want to accomplish some mission that we have for our life. We build our own religions and wonder why we fall away from the true religion of following Christ. We ephod make, y'all. And this shipwrecks our faith. So we say things like, man, you don't have to go to church. Like, you can just worship at home. Really? That's what the Bible says? Now, look, there's circumstances. I get that. But, but, but for real, though, are you sure you're not making an ephod that's going to lead the generation after you astray? We're all tempted to do it, Right? It's like, yeah, yeah, I know I shouldn't be dating this lost person, but like, man, but if you know, Mary, it's an ephod. The Bible's clear, you're not. I know, but like, love is love. And so, like, really though? Is that what the scriptures really say? Are we really following the, I mean, I know the Bible says that, but, y'all, am I talking to me? We ephod make, and then we wonder why the generations around us aren't following God or why we begin to fall away from God. We're making our own religion, y'all. We need to follow what God says. How many things is the culture saying right now that you have adopted as your religion that the scriptures or God never proclaims to be true? Ephod making will turn you into pursuing something else besides Christ. And so what, what is all of this, right? As we look at all of this and all the, the little words here, really there's just one main conclusion that we can wrap all of this up in. And that is when person becomes more important than God, you will never end well. I don't think it's a mistake that in chapter 6, God is mentioned 32 times and Gideon is mentioned 30 times. There's this kind of beautiful partnership here. In chapter 8, God is mentioned four times. Gideon is mentioned 39 times. When person becomes more central than God, then you will lose your way. And as much as he calls us to push back darkness and calls us to chase and, and to pursue and to, and to be about the mission of God, when we begin to make anything besides God, God in our life, then we will fall away, family. This story here is actually a love story because you were created by a God who loves you and who wants relationship with you. 
Gideon turned it into a mission story, but in reality, it's a love story because God's main mission is to pursue our hearts to have relationship with him. Gideon's missing the picture. And when we want relationship with us or with the things that God gives or with this world more than we want relationship with God, then we become our own saviors and we don't end well. And so what do we do when we find ourselves doing these things? Because I hope I gave enough examples for you to see where you probably slide into a lot of these. And if we're honest, most of us exhibit a lot of these on a weekly basis. And so am I saying that we're all going to fall away from the faith? Well, there's a temptation to do that. Only 20% end well. What prevents us from ending well? It's when we stop looking to person and start looking to God. It's when we look to the true and better judge that can save, not just save us from our enemies, but actually save us from ourselves. You see, when we look to someone who didn't just end well, but he ended perfectly, then there's deliverance in that. You see, Jesus is a greater judge and king than Gideon, and yet he lays his life down so that you might be redeemed. Jesus had every right to demand to be worshipped as king, unlike Gideon. But rather than demanding to be worshipped, he lays down his life as a servant. Rather than demanding gold, he gave up his riches that you and I might be rich in him. Jesus is the better Abimelech whose father is truly the king. You see, unlike Gideon, Jesus is also a priest who we can go to for the answers of God and also who can go to God on our behalf. In fact, he's not just a priest, but he lays his life down as a slave so that you and I might become priests of God now. Jesus, though deserving all respect and authority, he lays it down so that you can have a name. Jesus' reputation The first point was mocked so that you and I might have a new heavenly name. Jesus' mission was accomplished that you might now have better mission and vision. Jesus' kingship was surrendered so that one day you might rule as kings and queens on the throne with God over nations, the text says. Gideon was trying to rule over a nation now. The promise of scripture is that we will one day rule with Jesus if we believe in him. There is better hope that is coming. And when we focus on this world, we can gain the whole world and lose what actually matters, family. There is better that is coming. Jesus' glory was surrendered that you might live in glory forever. Jesus died that you might dwell in heaven. And we either will listen to the lie of Satan and try to rule as kings and queens here on this earth, or we will see that our king laid down his life so that as we mimic him, in service, then we receive the same blessing that he did if he died a death like ours and resurrected. Romans 6 says, if we die that same death, won't we resurrect like him too? He becomes all things. There's one person who we should worship, and his name is Jesus. Gideon has a disappointing ending, y'all, because that's what it's always going to be when you follow yourself over God. That's why our focus must be on someone greater, someone who can truly give purpose, who can truly deliver, who can truly save. There's only one who can deliver, 
And as we look to that deliverer, then we'll be bold and we'll push back darkness where God is calling us to be used. And we will be used by God. But way more important than that, we will love Jesus. We will love Jesus. That is the true race and the true war. The great war was not for the Midianites. It was for Gideon's soul. Great war is not for all the other stuff around us. It's for you. So how do we endure? What are the rhythms of life? Well, we look to Jesus, well, family, and then we run for Jesus. And then we look to Jesus, and then we run for Jesus. And then we look to Jesus, and then we look to Jesus, and then we look to Jesus, and then we look to Jesus. May we forever push back darkness because we are forever looking at the face of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, I love you guys. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I pray a prayer that I know feels nearly impossible to answer. But you are our better priest, unlike Gideon and unlike all of us, you are the priest that can go to God on our behalf. And so, Father God, I pray that every single person that is in this room today, that they would be passionately in love with you, Jesus, when they are 70 years old. Please keep us, Christ. Please. Please. Jesus, I pray for those of us who have all of these things in our heart that would cause us to to turn away from you, the God of the universe. Would you strip those out of our hearts and would you rid that from us that we might know you, Jesus. God, I pray that we would follow you until the end. God, I pray for those who do not have even that initial relationship with you. They do not know if they're a Christian or not, if they're following their kingdom or your kingdom. Friend, I want you to know you can come into the family of God today. Jesus bled and Jesus died so that the sin that separated us from God might be overcome. He paid the penalty. And that if you accept this gift of grace, then you become a child of God. You're delivered from the kingdom of this darkness into marvelous life. You are delivered from death into life everlasting. And God, I pray for all of us who have made that profession of faith, who have said, Jesus, you are our king. God, we repent that we do not always make you our king. We say it and we give 1%, and yet in this unbelievable grace, which you have showed us about yourself in this story, is that you're patient with us. As Gideon is struggling, you walk with him and you're you're patient with him and you, you give sign after sign after sign. And God, we need your grace if we are to endure. Give us your grace. Jesus, give us your grace, please, God. We need you, Jesus.
Christ, we love you. Even today, Jesus, help each of us to make you just a little bit more of the true king and the true prophet and the true priest in our hearts. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Friends, in a moment, we're going to take communion. And-